Hi and welcome to Showcast. In this episode, we find out how One Notch Designer created a full-body audiovisual experience at last year's Splinter event. Brett Bolton's a freelance audiovisual artist from Las Vegas, Nevada. He's well known for his work on some of the largest tours on earth, but he still manages to make the time to explore personal projects. Today, we talk about his evolving installation, Potential Energy, which first aired at LDI's Splinter event. This interactive installation invites participants to break open the walls around them and allow the creative energies to flow, using a clever combination of Notch, Touch and Ableton. Join us as we discuss experimentation, trial and error, and getting lucky. I'm Kat Kemsley, and you're listening to The Notch Showcast. Hi, Brett. Welcome to Showcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about a project that you created late last year for Splinter. The project is called Potential Energy, and it uses sensors to enable viewers to participate in the creation of sound and visuals. Tell me a bit more about Splinter, because it was the first time this event had taken place. Splinter was an event that my friend Ed Shaw, he's also a um, motion graphics designer and VJ, he wanted to have this event where it was part of LDI, but kind of an offshoot, which is kind of why he called it Splinter. So it was during LDI 2019. Um, it ran for three days. Is basically his idea to put on an art show during LDI, something where he can kind of um, showcase the things he wanted to make, as opposed to you know doing client work throughout the year. He's like, let's get all of our vendor buddies together, kind of put on a cool art show, and just kind of show what we want to do. It basically came in and gave me this entire backspace of this wall and three different servers to use, and basically said I can do whatever I wanted in that area. So having the servers and having the room, the space, I just kind of start to brainstorm. And then eventually Potential Energy was what came out of it. Cool. Before we get too deep into Potential Energy and this incredible project, I always find the word incredible really funny because it seems to suggest that it lacks credibility. But um, (laughs) this amazing amazing project that you created for Spenter, I'd like to find out a bit more about yourself and how you got to where you are today because you know you've had a really diverse journey into this industry I know that you started off playing in bands back in the day oh yeah um (laughs) (laughs) in Las Vegas and um is this kind of where your interest in visual art came from yeah I think so it all definitely stemmed from music like music was pretty much my life growing up, especially in high school. Like I was, uh, I played drums a lot and a little guitar, but like local bands were my life. <laughs> you know, as the, I got older and uh, kind of went into college, I still had the crazy drive to make music. So I was always kind of making new bands, making new projects. Fortunately, I was able to kind of take that energy and put it into, you know, learning how to record. And then learning how to record, I was able to go into sound design. Um, so right out of college, I was um, doing sound design for uh, some local studios here. And I learned a lot. A lot of I met a lot of good people in the film world too. Do you remember the first set of visuals you created for one of your shows? Yeah, yeah. Actually, like the main reason I started making visuals in the first place was for one of my bands. I was in this band called Kid Meets Cougar. Basically, we were just two people, so we played like kind of electro pop music, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, having two people on stage, Courtney would play drums, and I would play guitar and samples and do as much as we could. But basically, we we're tap dancing the whole time. We wanted to have like an extra element to the show, so. Well, we're like, yeah, let's 
let's trigger videos while we're, you know, doing all these different things. But yeah, that that's how I learned to create my own visuals. It was just a fun hobby at first, you know, like uh, figuring out what kind of visuals would go with different types of songs and different types of sounds. Um, eventually, I became super obsessed with that, though. <laughs> and then just loved... It was mainly After Effects at the time. So I got really, really deep into After Effects and was able to build out our whole set. And anytime we had a new song, I would build a new video. And then from there, um, I was doing sound design at the same time. But I realized that I was kind of having more fun with motion graphics. So I kind of started learning more and more about motion graphics. And then had some friends that were able to hire me to do um, is mainly like digital signage and corporate type motion graphics at first. But that's kind of how I first stepped into the visual world. Do you think there's some sort of correlation between being able to produce music and being able to produce visuals? Yeah. Is there a common language between the software? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, especially for concert visuals. I think it's a real benefit to be able to, you know have a basic understanding of music theory or, you know, and how just being able to separate things into measures. And I can see a lot of overlap too with timelines and whatnot, especially with Notch and like Ableton. Um, yeah, I, I do see a lot of overlap. Do you think growing up in Las Vegas has influenced your visual style? Uh, my style? Um, maybe. It, it must have, <laughs> you know. Like I mentioned before, yeah, like uh, once I got into motion graphics, I was doing a lot of digital signage. That was definitely, actually, yeah, that must have had, I never really thought about it, but <laughs> it probably did because most of the time um, that I'd be creating things in After Effects when I was first getting paid to do motion graphics was for um, some kind of digital sign or some kind of nightclub or like a VJ pack for a nightclub or some special New Year's Eve event. So yeah, that must have, the client's wishes probably... Uh, pushed my <laughs> aesthetic in different ways. You studied entrepreneurship at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Do you think your degree helps prepare you for a freelance career in the arts? Definitely. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, every once in a while, I was like, why did I go to college? Like, I should have just been going to film school or should have been going to a different school. But yeah, I ended up going for entrepreneurship. Uh, at first, I was finance. Um, had no interest in that eventually. <laughs> and then realized I had the same credits for entrepreneurship. And that was much more my world. So. Um, as soon as I was out of college, I was just freelance Brett Bolton. So it was like really nice to be able to kind of better handle myself. I was more prepared to handle myself in the business world because of that degree. And so in 2015, you made, you made the move to focus exclusively on concert visuals, still working freelance, but you're working with studios such as Empirical, Silent Partners, Treatment and Neon Black. And you're working on, you know, some of the biggest shows on earth, U2, The Rolling Stones, Bruno Mars, NERD, and Blink-182. Yeah, tell me a bit more about kind of how that happened. Uh, I got, <laughs> yeah, I got really lucky. Um, I uh, was fortunate enough to meet uh, JT Rooney at LDI one year, and uh, he immediately started telling me about Notch, after I kind of mentioned my musical projects and all these different um, After Effects, digital signage things I was doing, I mentioned I wanted to get into concert visuals more. And then, yeah, he told me about Notch. And then the next day, I actually went up and visited him in the D3 suite. And he had a version of Notch on his, his laptop, his Mac laptop. It's on boot camp. And he showed me the particle simulations. Once I saw that, I was like, okay, I need to learn this software right now. And then I just got like super obsessed with it. Unfortunately, he had a bunch of gigs coming up and he kind of just told me if I learn this, I can probably be able to hire me pretty quickly. So I did. Timing worked out really nicely. I don't know, it feels like some sort of, you know, like Godfather-esque situation. <laughs> Godfather. You learn the way of the streets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wearing a little notch. Yeah, JT is definitely the Godfather. <laughs> yeah, 
Okay, cool. And then, so you've also, so I mean, since then, you really, you know, you really did the work and you came and shared how you create um, projects in Notch at NotchCon in 2019. So if anyone wants to check that out, that's on YouTube and it's uh, NotchCon, Brett Bolton, building musical instruments from visuals, which is like, oh my God, one of my favorite talks from NotchCon. I don't know whether I'm allowed to have favoritism, but oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm going to paint a brief picture of potential energy and please jump in anywhere you feel is right. The main concept behind it is that there's some sort of energy building up behind the walls at Splinter and small streaks of light and electricity leak out from time to time as the pressure from the energy world behind the wall intensifies and tries to escape. And it's driven by participant interaction so participants can walk through you've got three separate zones set out across this large warehouse back wall and their movements can be used to break open pieces of the wall um, in various different ways and it's not just visual it's also musical so you've managed to create pipelines which will drive interaction from the sensors and push it through visual and audio to make a, it's not a symphony, I guess, to make a composition of different sounds. So you've got one, which is zone one, which is drums, zone two, which is melody, and zone three, which is bass. And all of these zones together create a constantly evolving piece of music based on the interactions that's happening in each zone. Yeah, so overall, the intensity of the music and the visuals correspond to the amount of human movement and interactivity. Do you think I covered that well? You said that way better (laughs) than I ever could. (laughs) Like, I usually just have people, you know, come check out the installation and then, you know, see it for themselves. I I was like, how am I supposed to speak this installation out? So you just nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) So what I find surprising about this project is that you've told me that you worked on it in your free time. And I'm like scratching my head like... I don't understand how you have any free time. <laughs> yeah, um, it's definitely, uh, I love my free time. <laughs> I love personal projects. So. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you find or how do you make the time to work on personal projects? Um, luckily I've got, uh, I have a lot of good clients that kind of understand that I like doing personal projects as well as, you know, client work. So they've been really good about working with my schedule. So if I've got like an upcoming installation and whatnot, they're usually pretty responsive to that. And luckily they'll call me back if I'm, a- if I'm not able to take a gig. So yeah, I've been fortunate to have really good clients. But yeah. Why is it important for you to kind of to work on these personal projects? I'm obsessed with... <laughs> it's, it's really hard to <laughs> kind of... I have to make things. That's just kind of the way I'm built. If I've get, got an idea, I usually have to figure out a way to build it. And then that's just my favorite thing in the world is to, you know kind of make projects from nothing and kind of see them in the real world. You have that extra step that most people, the actual realization and making them happen step, which is a really cool. That's the fun part. The superpower. <laughs> yeah. That's the really annoying fun part. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the music. So obviously we've established that you're, you know, you've got musical roots. So it's a big part of your design process. How is the music generated for this installation? Do you have some degree of control or are you leaving it completely to the sensors to generate the sound? Um, so like you mentioned, there's um, drums, melody and bass. Everything is being run inside Ableton Live. Um, so those are those are just multiple channels, um, different instruments that are being triggered live. So nothing is just like a uh, besides the ambience in the background. That's the only loop that I've got in there. Everything else is an actual instrument that's being played by the people in the room. So for instance, with the drums, 
that's the most basic zone that we have, but it's also the first one that people kind of encounter because it kind of gets them a feel for how the installation is going to work. Um, so with that one, it's just a big, at first you just walk up and you see a big square outline on the wall. But as you approach that outline, it starts to push back into the wall and you start hearing like a uh, kick drum pulse. But the closer you get, the more elements of the drum pattern get triggered. And so it starts to add a hi-hat and a snare. And then eventually by the time you get all the way to the front of the wall, you get a full-on, really intense beat that's kind of driving throughout the entire room. Visually, you can see the the portal opens up completely. All the energy light is starting to kind of leak out of the sides. You can kind of see the energy world and all the energy beings that are kind of in the background there. So yeah, it's a really intuitive first step inside the installation. But yeah, people are basically triggering off different um, drum patterns the closer they get to the wall. And then we kind of move into melody. Do you want to describe what happens when you walk into the melody zone? Yeah, like definitely. Yeah, the melody zone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the melody sequencer was the most intense section of the installation. I had an infrared camera up in the ceiling that was looking down onto a grid on the floor. So as people would move through different parts of this grid, I built a system in Touch Designer that would enable different um, MIDI notes to be enabled. So as they walked through like a certain pattern, they would trigger off different notes within a sequencer. But that grid was then visually represented on the wall itself as the portal that people could open up. So if they stepped into the first grid on the floor, um, they'd see the first lower right grid open up on the wall. People could run around in circles and kind of see a circle being drawn inside the grid, which is a lot of fun because we ended up having a lot of kids come (laughs) and they would just go crazy in the circle and just have a lot of fun like dancing. So I have a question about that. Okay, so like, for example, a bunch of kids come in and they're like dancing all over the place. Have you put any limiters to stop it becoming a complete cacophony of sound? Kind of, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> it yeah. basically has a most intense version it can get. You know, like, uh, it can trigger off certain notes, but all those notes are within a certain scale. So, you know, like, they could trigger all the notes if they want. But uh, the melody sequencer, I, forget, I guess I forgot to mention, um, it's a grid, but it, since it's a sequencer, it has two different timelines going. So based on where the time is uh, on the sequencer, that's the note that get triggered, gets triggered. So if they run in a straight line, they could be doing the same note just for every 16th note, if that makes sense. Um, but if they kind of run in a wave, they can trigger a whole scale. But it's always going to sound pretty good because the timeline's going and triggering off certain notes. So not every note won't be triggered immediately. It'll only be enabled to be triggered by the timeline. If that makes sense. <laughs> it's just like a like a it's like a drum machine or a sequencer. So yeah, you've got the grid, but then you also have you have the timeline markers that are going sweeping from left to right with a beat. So you'll see the drums or you hear the drums going just like basic beat, and then that the markers moving with it from side to side. So you know that's kind of synced up. So then you just enable the notes that you want inside that sequencer, and it makes a cool little melody for you. And then we have the bass. Yep. And then the bass. Uh, the bass, 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 yeah. bass. That's a. Uh, pretty similar to the drums. So as you get closer to these, um, each one of the different squares on the wall, they start to open up, the, the portals open up again. But it's an arpeggiated sequencer as well. I built it in a way where only one person can trigger one note um, out of three notes possible. So that way you have to play with a friend. You know, you can't run to one zone and then go back and forth. You can only trigger one note. But um, so you'd walk up to one of the zones and then or you'd start getting like a quarter note and then you get closer, it'd be eighth note, and you get 16th note. So it'd get faster and faster as you get close to the wall. So um, it'd be pretty cool to, you know, really intense, like as you get really close to the wall and you'd see like everything kind of going crazy next to you, but only on that one note. But if you played the bass with a friend, you guys can go be, you can be going back and forth playing 
two of the three three notes. So you got doom 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 do 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 do, and then you get crazier and crazier. I'm not gonna sing, <laughs> not gonna sing it, but I've got like a little uh, uh sample online that I'll show um exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's an arpe- arpeggiated um bass sequencer in a way. Nice. And had you tested out like a lo-fi mock-up of this concept on anyone before you went ahead and did the full installation? Um, I had the idea for a while, like I've, I've always kind of wanted to create like a musical environment, like not just like a cool projection mapped thing, which I've done, but, you know, I wanted to make something where people could create their own music or control elements of music within a projected space. So it'd been a concept for a while, but this is the first time I had real, like a good chance to test everything out and a deadline to do it. So basically in the couple months leading up to potential energy and in the Splinter event, I built everything out during my free time, like you mentioned. And then uh, I have a little studio space. So I was able to kind of get the sensors, test out those and kind of go through mock-ups as uh, things got closer. And luckily it all worked. (laughs) Yeah, nice. And did you kind of get the interactions you were hoping for from the participants? Yeah, definitely. I wish, I'm excited to take this to different places and different festivals and kind of make new iterations of it. Um, This was just a three-day event during kind of a convention setup. So it was cool. But it'd be really fun to see this at like a festival or some kind of, you know, art gallery. And it was very much a case of letting the participant work it out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. At first I was giving tours because there was a convention crowd at first. So I kind of lead them through the installation, kind of show them basically what was going on, what they could do. But later on at night, we would have people just walk in. That was my favorite part was just being able to sit back and let people discover the world for themselves. And usually they could pretty quickly, especially with that drum zone. They walk in and it's like all they hear is this weird ambient hum from like this energy source. So it's kind of weird when they first walk in, but then they kind of like start approaching the marks and then things start opening up and kind of creating music. So it's really fun to see everyone discover those things for themselves. Yeah, let's talk about the visual design for your energies. So I think they're quite they're quite graphic in design. They, they look a bit like a graphic novel or a graffiti art. What was your inspiration behind the energies? Yeah, those were kind of like the first thing I built when I was doing mock-ups. I basically came up with the idea just like by staring at the wall there. (laughs) I went to the space and was like, what can we do with this big blank canvas, you know? So I was like, uh, it'd be kind of cool just to be able to break it up, like show some three dimension to it, actually tear open the wall. And I was like, what could be behind the wall? So eventually, yeah, energy (laughs) is the first thing I thought. Or like uh, these particle spills, you know, of uh, glowing light. I thought that would be really fun to just kind of crack open. This kind of evolved on itself. Um, started with basic particle simulations and whatnot, with uh, with trails and line connection renders and all that stuff. Um, eventually, it just became took on a look of its own, and I really tried to hone in with different types of fractal energies to kind of give it a certain glow. But yeah, it was kind of built itself in a way. Like I just kind of kept going and going and going until I found a aesthetic that I really liked. Yeah, it's a really unique aesthetic as well. Thanks. Yeah, I think you mentioned the graphical thing. There was like couple happy accidents that I kind of hit on that I was just like, okay, this looks, you know, I, I didn't want it to try to look like it was real. You know, there's no way I'm going to make it look like it's real lightning coming out of the wall, you know? So once I kind of found the graphical look that I started honing in on that a little bit more, because I felt like that was more, um, it made more sense in the space. And you made the visuals entirely in notch. Was your design process at all influenced by the capabilities of notch? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, this installation was at first, you know, built with with the capabilities and you know limitations that I would have with the types of software I had access to. 
um, also the servers that we would be using for the installation. So that was nice having those, you know, parameters set from day one, because then I can kind of build from there. But yeah, knowing that Notch could do particle simulations, it could do all these things in real time, knowing it could do, um, it was able to take OSC in. Um, it's, I guess I didn't touch on that really. Um, all the visuals were being driven by OSC commands and MIDI as well. I was run from Touch Designer and from Ableton. So yeah, as the kick drum would kind of start going, then you also see the things pulsing um, based on the same MIDI note that's being triggered in Ableton and so on. So all the visuals are being triggered by a bunch of different MIDI events and OSC signals. And so it was synced up perfectly with uh, the musical elements that were happening. So that was a huge benefit that Notch had. I can easily tie those elements into the music. Did you feel like you had to steer away from anything or, or avoid avoid anything during the creative process? I guess it's the same as every other project, you know, just adding too much. <laughs> you can't add, to, it has to run in real time. So it has to, you know, be able to hit a certain GPU millisecond rating. So yeah, I can only, I knew that for each zone, I would have one server, what the specs were on those. So I had to make sure that it was staying, you know, within that limit, which is nice. It's nice having, you know, certain limits. I don't need to have a billion things going on in one scene, you know. For you, do you feel like this was an experimental project? Are there like elements or processes that you've never used before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the fun thing with personal projects, especially, is um, kind of trying out a ton of different things that I've never done before. I never worked with proximity sensors, really. I've done melody sequencers with my bands and whatnot. But yeah, it's always a fun kind of challenge, kind of trying to say, I want to do this. I want to figure out how to make this kind of interaction and this kind of installation happen. Um, and then kind of just figuring out all the different little pieces to put to that together. Yeah, it's, it's always a fun challenge. When it came to the actual event, were you kind of making any last minute adjustments during the show or were you pretty much set and ready to go? Um, <laughs> yeah, like once, once show time came, luckily all the content, all the like the actual, the visual world and notch and um, all the musical elements were there. Uh, so once we had like a day or two to set up, then it was just all about wiring things correctly. <laughs> and that was kind of the biggest uh, challenge for me is like, I, I don't usually work in the hardware side. Usually there's a whole crew of people way more talented than me on the tech side of things that are kind of wiring things up. Um, but with this one, luckily we had the servers taken care of, but the musical elements were run from my machines and I'd have to network those all together with the sensors. So that was, a, that was a, a learning experience for sure, but it all worked. How long did your setup take? I think it was like a day and a half or so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, is this going to work? Uh, I, think, I mean, I tested it all on my studio before, but you know, there's always things that pop up. But yeah, it worked out. There's quite a lot to take into account, really, because you've got the three different styles of interaction, as well as audio and visual, going on. What was the driving force Behind, I mean, why why did you choose to use a different interaction for each portal or each zone? Um, I guess the each zone kind of needed those kind of interactions. Like it just kind of made sense. Like uh, I didn't want it to seem forced or anything. It's like okay, you walk towards a wall. I was like, what's the easiest way, you know, to open a portal by walking towards a wall? So I found these proximity sensors. Then I knew I wanted to do um, melody sequencer type thing too with a grid on the floor. So originally that was going to be like a bunch, an array of proximity sensors. But then I just realized I could just do the same thing with infrared camera. Kind of the, all the hub for everything was touch designer. And then that would kind of break up the infrared camera and the proximity sensors and then send out whatever data was needed to Ableton clips or Ableton um, instruments. And then uh, also to notch to trigger different scenes. 
You make it sound easy now that it's done, but obviously working all that <laughs> out must have been really complex and like trial and error to some degree. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely trial and error. It's really all similar to my personal projects too, like with my own AV like bands and stuff. It's a lot of the similar pipelines. So it's just kind of you know adding a different type of sensor and then um, kind of changing up the different logic that I do in Touch Designer and whatnot. So luckily it all kind of built on itself. How close was the finished product to your original seed of an idea? Um, it was pretty close. Like uh, like I, I got all the main parts really. Like I when I first started at it, I didn't know what it would look like. I had the idea of what I wanted it to do and kind of how I wanted it to behave and act, but I was kind of still open to how the energy would look and what the kind of beings behind the wall would look like as well. So I think it turned out pretty well though with the time we had to, I can't wait for make round two of it. So yeah. Is there anything you do differently for round two or adapt for the second showing? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I kind of want this to be an ongoing installation, new iterations. I'd change up the music a bit. I might make it so, uh, there's multiple songs that these zones are capable of doing, maybe multiple aesthetics all in the same world. Of course, uh, but I also want to add a couple more instruments too. So, <laughs> so hopefully I just keep Does that making mean this. more zones? Yeah, more zones, or, bigger yeah. spaces. You know, I'd love to be able to take this somewhere and, you know, kind of have it be just a bigger and better version of potential energy. It's quite a good way to have like a socially distanced club night, isn't it? If everyone's in their yeah, own zone. I didn't think know. about that. <laughs> it's actually made for <laughs> social distancing. For, yeah. Hmm. Oh, there we go. So if anyone's out there, you want a potential energy. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much potential going on here. Um, and how was it being your own client for this project? Oh, it was nice. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. Um, like Ed was really, he basically let me make whatever I wanted. He really trusted my vision of things. Uh, he had a space in there as well, an installation going on as well. It was cool for us to dictate our own terms, you know, or just to be like, okay, this looks good enough now, you know, or this doesn't look good enough now and just kind of, uh, put the final stamp on whenever we thought it was done. So yeah, it was really, really nice as it is with personal projects to build things the way you want them to be seen. That does lead me to my next question, which is which something I really struggle with is when it comes to personal projects is making myself accountable for the delivery of them. So I know with Splinter, you actually had a hard deadline on having to show them at an event which had a, a specific date. But how do you make yourself accountable when it comes to your own personal projects? Yeah, that's the tough one. Deadlines are always good, like setting a show as kind of scary as it is, like having the show date is always really good for me because I can go, I can work back from the show date to say, okay, I need to have all these visuals done by this time. I need to have everything playable by this time. But yeah, just setting dates for everything, even if they're kind of soft deadlines. Um, I've always found that uh, that's the best way for me to work. Otherwise, it's, you know, if you're just working on a song until you feel like it's done, it's gonna, you can keep making that song forever. <laughs> you know, new versions, new iterations of the visuals. So having deadlines is definitely good for me, even if it's a little stressful. How do you know when something's done? Do you have to take a day and step away from it and then look at it again? Yeah, yeah. I have found that to be a really good way to go about it. Um, Because, you know, some days you just have bad days and you listen to the thing you created the night before and you're like, this is trash and you just want to throw it away and you're like, it's down on yourself. But if you come back to it in like a week or two, you're like, okay, this actually, you know, has some good seeds in there and you can kind of build from there. Eventually, you're just like, okay, I like it, <laughs> you know, or this is good enough. And then you kind of move on to the next thing. And what is the next thing for you? Um, the next thing for me is a show that I've been building out. Um, it's an audiovisual show. It's called Radii. It's all kind of centered around projection on a, on a snare drum, which is kind of the easiest way to put it. I've got a projector right above my snare. 
And I'm able to do certain types of interactions with that. I've got a connect above it as well. So basically with that little setup, I was trying to build out an audiovisual album, which I just kind of, I finished up the main eight songs for that, which took quite a bit of time. I've got a couple samples of things up on online. Um, but now I've kind of got a full AV album that I need to put into the final stages and kind of mix and perform. I guess there's no shows going on right now, <laughs> but eventually it'd be cool to, uh, you know, build that into a live show. I mean, it's, it's pretty much there already, but I'll be kind of putting more, more and more things out online, uh, along with an audiovisual album of everything being performed in real time. Yeah. Cause the clips that I have seen, so I've seen a clip from Radii, which is the concentric circles clip and it looks really cool. Thanks. It looks really cool just as a as a video. But for you, is it important to perform it live to show the kind of real time and everything's, you know? Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's kind of the, the whole point of it in a way, like just making these, um, really it's, it's the fun part for me is making these, uh, taking just a basic drum surface and then transforming them into different types of um, instruments on their own, really, um, like with concentric circles. That is just three or four little circles in a row, but each one has like another sequencer inside of it that kind of triggers its own um, own melody. Once I kind of trigger those different melodies off, it creates a different pattern. You can see that visually live. So I guess it, it just makes sense for me to show, you know, that in live form. All right. I'm able to mess up too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess that is the thing, isn't it? That it's not that it's just some projection that has been rendered to look like that, that it is, is all reactive to the sounds that you're making. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's everything is like based off of wherever I hit and the, the drums kind of creates different sounds and whatnot. So yeah, it looks beautiful. Excited to show and it that. definitely, um, kind of going back to something we were talking about earlier about like the Las Vegas influence, like there's some looks in that that look almost gamified with the little pinballs as well, which, I, I, it, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun one. That was a, that was definitely one of the more intense ones that I built. I, I wanted to do physics inside my little drum. <laughs> so I had the idea to kind of tilt the surface back and forth and able or make it look like it, the balls were tilting back and forth. And those the positions of the balls would trigger different notes and then um, yeah, ping pong back and forth and create different noises. So but yeah, I guess it is kind of Vegas, isn't it? <laughs> I guess I'm more less Vegas than I thought. Cool. Well, that's about time, Brett. Thank you so much for taking some time out your morning to have a chat with me about this project. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens next with Radii. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Kat. I appreciate it. Catch All right. Bye on. now. All right. See you. Bye. Thank you. Check out more from Brett at his website, www.brettbolton.net or follow him on Insta at Brett Bolton. Head over to the Notch website, notch.one forward slash showcase to check out images and videos of potential energy. Remember to use the hashtag MadeWithNotch to feature on our Instagram page at NotchVFX. Next week, I'm joined by the crew behind Amazon Prime's Inside the Boys. Here's what you've got to look forward to next week. And one of the, and, and I think that here's, here's also where this, you know, this kind of XR LED set mapping approach really shines, especially for something like a talk show is that Aisha Tyler could actually see these guests live and she can actually make a real connection with these people as she's talking to them and her line of sight is correct. And, you know, they can actually kind of like everyone can kind of see one another in in the moment as opposed to, for example, if she was on a green screen. So it's one of the it's one of the ways in which, you know, this LED approach really, really worked for this uh, this format. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.